0: Good evening, my name is John Randolph, I have the privilege of pastoring in Goldsboro at Crossway Church or Southern Baptist Church there in Goldsboro, get to be one of the pastors there, so I'll bring you greetings from Goldsboro, thank you for the privilege of being here to open God's word with you. So we want to continue looking at the parables, if you would turn with me to God's word, Matthew chapter 13 parable that's sometimes called the parable of the pearl of great price or the pearl of great value Would you follow along with me as I read God's word Matthew 13:45 and 46 Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it? Let's pray and ask for God's help again. Father, we thank you for the good word that we have heard already. This word from Jesus that helps us. That we seek to interpret, but that also very much interprets us, search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our anxious thoughts. Lord, we ask that you would give us the Holy Spirit now. Pray that you would help me to preach not in words of human wisdom or eloquence, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and power. As Dan preached to us, that you would help us to pay careful attention to how we hear. Speak, Lord, now, for your servants are listening. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's true, as a boy and a teenager, I attended a total of seven Stephen Curtis Chapman concerts. That's right, some of you are envious right now, some now think I'm rather hokey, and others don't know who I'm talking about anyway. But by God's grace, being raised by Christian parents, it was my mom who first introduced me to Stephen Curtis Chapman, who, by the way, if you don't know, is a musician who seeks to honor and glorify God with his gifts. And little did she know, perhaps, that God would use his music, album after album, for years and years, really, to disciple me. Or at least to play a part in my Christian discipleship along with my parents, along with that most central thing that God has given us for our discipleship which is the church so if you would indulge me for a minute let's go back maybe a couple of decades here's a sample of Stephen Curtis Chapman lyrics from back in the day nobody stood and applauded them so they knew from the start this road would not lead to fame all they really knew for sure was Jesus had called to them he said come follow me and they came With reckless abandon, they came. Empty nets lying there at the water's edge told a story that few could believe and none could explain how some crazy fishermen agreed to go where Jesus went with no thought to what they would gain. For Jesus had called them by name, and they answered, We will abandon it all for the sake of the call. No other reason at all but the sake of the call, wholly devoted to live and to die for the sake of the call. To find Jesus so precious, to see his kingdom and his gospel as so valuable that we think nothing of giving up everything for his sake. That's what we we want to consider tonight. Let me say that one more time. To find Jesus so precious. To see his kingdom and his gospel as so infinitely valuable that we think nothing of giving up everything for his sake. If you're taking notes on paper or in your head, the first thing we want to see here in Matthew 13 verses 45 and 46 is this tonight. Very, very simple couple of thoughts to guide us tonight. Number one, notice that this man gave up everything. First of all, we're just very simply noticing that the man in this story, in this parable that Jesus told, notice with me if you would, that he gave up everything. It says again in Matthew thirteen forty-five again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. He gave up everything. I, like Dan, have to admit my ignorance about all things to do with merchants in search of fine pearls but we do see here just some basic things that we should notice, some things that are right on the surface that we should not take for granted. For one thing, verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, over and over again." That's really one of the, one of, if not the, main themes of Matthew 13, as Jesus devotes this whole chapter to speaking in parables. And he's saying over and over again, "The kingdom of, of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. It's like what? Well, in this case, it's like a merchant in search of fine pearls. We can assume, I think, that this man knew what he was doing. Like anyone who's studied for their trade, whether in school or simply by experience or by both school and experience, this man was a professional merchant. He'd been searching for fine pearls perhaps all of his life or at least all of his vocational life. And I think we can say that it was his vocational ambition, his occupational desire... His lifelong pursuit to search for fine pearls. Notice the plural there. So what did that look like? I don't know exactly, but perhaps anywhere and everywhere that he went. He was bartering, he was seeking, he was looking. Do you have any fine pearls? Do you have anything that I could possibly trade to get some fine pearls? We're going to come back to the first of verse 46 where it says who on finding one pearl of great value but for now if we could just pause on the second part of verse 46 which tells us that not only had this professional merchant been seeking for fine pearls plural but he found one pearl of great value and what did he do upon finding this one pearl? He went and sold all that he had and bought it. This really represents to us the cost of discipleship, does it not? The cost of discipleship. If you would keep your place here, maybe turn over to Luke chapter 9 for just a moment. Turn to the end of Luke chapter 9. What we're thinking about here is that this man wanted one pearl so badly that he basically he liquidated all of his assets so that he could have the means so that he could have the money to buy the pearl he had nothing left and this represents I'm saying the cost of discipleship notice what Jesus says in Luke 9 beginning in verse 57 it says this as they were going along the road someone said to him I will follow you wherever you go And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Verse 59, To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. Jesus said to him, mark this, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The cost of discipleship is high. The cost of following Jesus, let us not be unclear about this as our brother has already so clearly shared with us, means we are called to give up everything. Notice here in Luke 9, 57 through 62, there's three men. Notice that in each case we're not told how it turns out. Notice that in the first case this first man seems to unreservedly say I will follow you wherever you go. You know how sometimes we we think we can impress Jesus or we think we have things to offer. You want me on your team Jesus. You're going to want me. I'm going to be there for you. and, And unlike so many today of course who would have said great come on Jesus gives him this this weird response foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head do you know what you're getting into and then the second man doesn't approach Jesus first Jesus approaches him Jesus says follow me and again he also represents the first three soils that we consider tonight but he said Lord let me first go and bury my father Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And the third man, seems like the first man, he addresses Jesus himself. He says, "He said, I'm going to follow you. I'm there for you. He does give a caveat. I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And what in the world is Jesus saying? Why doesn't Jesus just immediately welcome this man instead of saying, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The cost of discipleship is high as we think back to our parable. Make no mistake, it says here very clearly, this man went and sold all that he had and bought it. But this is not really the main emphasis of this parable, is it? The New Testament, Jesus clearly teach in many places that we are not worthy to be his followers unless we find him so supremely valuable that we are willing to give it all up for him. As Paul says, that I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own, but the righteousness that comes through faith. Listen, Jesus says, hate your father and your mother. That is, your love for King Jesus should make your affection for anyone else, family included, look like hatred in comparison. No man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Theologically, the, the debate of the past three to four decades has been over uh, what some of you are familiar with this term, lordship, salvation. Uh, the question really is, must Jesus be lord of a person's life, or can that just come later? And the New Testament is clear, we don't make Jesus lord of our lives. He is lord, and we come to him on his terms, and those terms are that we gladly pledge our full allegiance to his reign and to his rule in our lives. We can no more divide Jesus up into part Savior and part Lord than we can sustain our own breathing right now. This is the cost of discipleship. If it sounds heavy, then as much as I believe I'm being faithful to Jesus, I would say to you tonight, it is. It is this, this man finding one pearl of great value and then going and selling all that he had, going and liquidating his ass, assets, whether he owned a farm or whether he owned property of, of various sorts, he goes and he sells it. Can you imagine the, the picture and he goes and he's, he's looking for buyers and is in excitement and he's saying, will you buy my farm? Will you buy th- these articles of clothing that I don't need? You don't have to give me full price. Just, just, just give me something. Give me a reasonable offer. Will you take these things off of my hands? And he actually is liquidating everything. He went and sold all. He gave up everything, the cost of discipleship. But secondly, notice this. And as important as it is that we notice that, as as heavy as it is, as deceived as we will be if we do not understand that, that is not the main point of this parable. He gave up everything, but he could have cared less that he was giving up everything because, number two, he got the one thing that he wanted. This is the teaching of this parable. He gave up everything, yes, but he could have cared less. You know the quote, don't you, by Jim Elliott? He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. It's been about 11 years ago that I had my eye on a beautiful, godly young lady and as is our custom, of course, more often than not, you, it's a good thing to buy an engagement ring and to if you are moving along that that's seriously. And so as I had my eye on this godly, beautiful young lady who today is my wife, and as I was a student at the time, and as I had various odd jobs that, of course, paid what they did, and it was no doubt probably the most costly expenditure of my life to, to fork out the money for that engagement ring. Thankfully, my wife's aunt is a jeweler in Pennsylvania, where she's from, so that, that was helpful as well. Um, but nonetheless, she didn't give me that great of a deal. I still love her. But as I took Christy to the park, and as I Uh, knelt down to propose to her and opened the box with the ring I was not at that moment thinking here's the ring this is killing me this is killing me do you realize how much this cost? nor have I in the past 10 years that the Lord has given us on a weekly or monthly or yearly and not really at all have I said honey you owe me you know how much I needed that food to eat out instead of eating the cafeteria food at school. And I I just gave up practically everything to get you that ring. It's, It's not like that at all. And that's not, although I do think by implication, I think by implication, by good and necessary implication, this parable teaches us that we must, that Jesus calls us to count the cost of discipleship. I don't think that's the main point. We need to go back to verse 44. Because Jesus is teaching the same thing in both of these parables the parable of the pearl of great value and the parable of the hidden treasure. So look with me at verse 44. It says this The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. And buys that field. You see the parallel? There's a different scenario. Uh, our man in, in the parable of the, great, the pearl of great value is, is seeking. The man in the parable of the hidden treasure in verse 44, not really seeking, kind of stumbles upon this treasure. Uh, imagine with me if you would, we leave here tonight, and you've got your metal detector in the trunk, and you decide after most people have dispersed i'm gonna I'm just gonna canvas the the area of the church here just for fun, just to find out you you've got your metal detector, you're scanning around the area, and what do you know? beep 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 it starts to go off, and well, you know uh justin won't care we'll we'll dig a little bit here we'll do too much damage to the church property, and you dig and you begin to wait a minute wait a minute you begin to recognize whatever it is you, you, you somehow are able to recognize this is not just any other find this is this is a, a good find this, this is so uh, does the church know about this does Justin know about this and this parable, as Dan reminds us, not to mention, we're not meant to press it and to say, oh, that's not ethical, or what is Jesus talking about here? He's, he's kind of commending unethical behavior. No, not at all. The picture is actually of a man who who does something that we might think is a little bit duplicitous, right? He goes and he has his metal detector, and he finds a treasure, and he says, I don't care if Justin or the church knows about this at all. I know about it, and it's going to make me rich, And so what he does is he makes an incredible offer to buy the whole church and to buy the whole property. You guys can go relocate. I found an incredible treasure. Would you read verse 44 again with me? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And, and that specific language is not explicit in verses 45 and 46, but I think it's there. I think when it says in verse 44, then in his joy, I think... That is what is explicitly missing in verses 45 and 46, but what is absolutely there nonetheless. In other words, we could say in verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went in his joy and sold all that he had and bought it. Is this not the point of the parable? That following Jesus will cost you everything. And there's no more joyous death to die than the death to self. There's no more joyous death to die than taking up your cross daily and following him. You see, for the one who has been born again, For the one who by the grace of God has had a heart change, who's been born from above, you hear these words from Jesus and you hear the call of the gospel that says, Come, follow me. Take up your cross daily. And the the heart and the mind of the person who's been born again says, Yes, I will follow you. There is nothing more that I would rather do. You are my supreme delight. You are my supreme joy. And the heart that's been born again says, any sacrifice for you is not only worth it, it is my pleasure. For me, as as I mentioned, by God's grace being raised by Christian parents, as best I know, being... Rescued by God's grace at a young age, I professed Christ at a backyard Bible club, young age of six, and uh, also as a teen, I, I did grow to sometimes say, you know, what I think is probably all too typical here in the in the Bible Belt in the South. I, I said so many times, you know, did I do it right? Did I pray that prayer the right way? Am I really saved and I wrestled with assurance of salvation, which God wants us to do, wants us to have full assurance. But God began to help me to see that he alone can save and he, in fact, had given me a love for him, a love for his word, a love for his people. The verse that seemed to me like my life verse for so many years as a growing Christian was 1 Peter 1.8. I commend it to you, 1 Peter 1.8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. He's coming again. He has come. And so, where does that leave us now? He's coming again. He's coming again, and he has come, and so where does that leave us now? it It doesn't leave us in no man's land. As Justin prayed tonight, we have the Holy Spirit, we have each other, we have the church, we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy now because we worship and because we love someone that we've never even seen. It's amazing. He gave up everything. This merchant in search of fine pearls. He gave up everything, but he could have cared less that he was giving up everything because he got the one thing that he really wanted. So what tonight? Let's begin with God's help to make sure that we are thinking about being doers, being faithful hearers of God's word. So what Well, first of all, let us see for the first time or remember once again that the call of Jesus to be his disciple is a call to give up everything. Let's remember the cost of discipleship. And when I say the call of Jesus to be his disciple is a call to give up everything, I I don't know about you, but I'm very tempted to qualify that statement and to say in principle to give up everything or at least be willing to give up everything that's not what Jesus said and as long as we understand that Jesus himself didn't call everyone to give up everything in exactly the same way like at the end of the gospel of John you know inquisitive Peter hears about John Jesus tell me about that no mind to you Peter what's it to you you follow me the call of discipleship means that we give up everything, but that does look different in each of our lives. For some, it means literally selling our possessions. For others, it may it may very well mean living in middle-class America, dying to self daily, serving our families, working faithfully at our jobs, like Michael Horton's helpful new book, Ordinary, Ordinary Lives for the Sake of the Kingdom of God. Jesus himself did not call everyone to give up everything in exactly the same way. But the cost of discipleship is the same for all. And then, brothers and sisters, let us for the first time, or maybe for the 4,000th time, let us resolve by the grace of God to find our joy in King Jesus, the crucified and risen Lord. This is the heartbeat of Christianity. This is 1 Peter 1.8 is not just for super-Christians or for those who, who really want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the essence of what it means. Matthew 13.44-46 really is not dealing with super-disciples. It's dealing with conversion. This is conversion to Christ that we understand that He calls us to leave all and to follow Him and we say, huh, nothing I'd rather do. Nothing I'd rather do in the world. At the center of this kingdom of heaven that Jesus talks about over and over in Matthew 13, at the center of the kingdom of heaven is the king himself. Who is this king? Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. He is the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of redemption. He owns you because he made you. Does he own you because he made you and because he has redeemed you? Do you find this king supremely valuable? Is he your greatest, your all-surpassing treasure? Would you even now, by the grace of God, feel the beat of your heart saying this, Yes, I am weak, but I could say that I would gladly give up all or go through anything for the sake of my Lord and my Redeemer. If that's the case, then you're a Christian. We struggle daily with idols and with various sins that we need to own and confess and turn from, but it is the fundamental, is the fundamental driving force of your life, the Lord Jesus Christ. And has that manifested itself in real life change? This is not optional that we would withhold some of our possessions, that we would not liquidate everything. This is, this is the testimony of Paul. Whatever gain I had, Philippians 3, 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Look to Jesus as your all-satisfying treasure. He is the king of the kingdom of heaven. He's not the type of king that we think of. We think of a king in his royal splendor. But this king came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm thankful to be able to preach at a conference that I believe there's a lot of like-mindedness. And so I think we, I think we know, and if, and if we don't, we should know that the Bible is crystal clear. No one on their own seeks for God. We have all turned aside. But if there are ever a true seeker, then I think this man is it. This merchant in Matthew thirteen forty-five. He was seeking for pearls, but he found, he surprisingly found, the pearl to end all pearls. If the Lord God purposes to save a man, then he can also make that same man a true seeker until he sovereignly leads that man to the fountain of delights who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me close with a hymn from a Wesleyan Methodist by Clara T. Williams. I'm just going to tweak the chorus She said All my life I had a longing For a drink from some clear spring That I hoped would quench the burning Of the thirst I felt within Hallelujah He has found me Whom my soul so long has craved Jesus satisfies all my longings Through his blood I now am saved Feeding on the husks around me till my strength was almost gone, longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Poor I was and sought for riches, something that would satisfy, but the dust I gathered round me only mocked my soul's sad cry Hallelujah, he has found me, the one my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies all my longings through his blood. I now am saved. Let us look to Jesus and in Him, in Him find the hidden treasure. In Him find the pearl of great price. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Help us in our laziness, in our apathy, in our small appetites in our being so easily satisfied with with candy when you've set before us a Thanksgiving meal Lord help us to be like this merchant seeking for fine pearls when by your grace you reveal to us the one pearl of great price Lord that we would not begrudge at all the cost of discipleship but that we would gladly give up all Lord, this is absolutely impossible apart from your Holy Spirit. So we ask for your help even now. Amen.